Week six, becoming established. We up in this point in Acts chapter five. If you remember last week, there was a couple that tried to come into the house of God, the, specifically not just the the outside meaning of believers, where people were getting healed and people were believing in Jesus. But when a couple named Ananias and Sapphira tried to come and join the unified house of the apostles and the believers, we found that they couldn't survive. Um, Ananias and Sapphira. Both fell down dead because they had motives. And we talked about a message called Check Your Motives. They didn't have a motive coming in to glorify God. They had a motive coming in to get glory for themselves. And when they called it out, it was almost like shock, almost like a conviction, like a heart attack conviction. They fell down dead, and they had to be carried out. And what we talked about was we wanted to make sure that a church on fire in its truest form is a house, it's a family, it's a, it's a unified body of believers who are so unified in one thing without motive that God can do whatever he wants. And that unity we spoke of was a unity of we don't have a motive of getting, we just have a simple motive of we want to come and seek God. So this has happened to Ananias and Sapphira, and there is unity in the church to such a degree that this is what's going on, picking up in Acts chapter 5, verse 15 through 16. As a result of the apostles' work, sick people were brought out into the streets on beds and mats so that Peter's shadow might fall across some of them as he went by. Crowds came from the villages around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those possessed by evil spirits, and they were all healed. The people were so convinced of the power of what these people were doing that people were traveling to come to this new form of church. If you don't remember, there was something called the church that had very little to do with Jesus at all at this point. The church, the ecclesia, was the governing um, officials of the area, and this church, um, people were not exactly thriving in it. Um, the church, the ecclesia, were so concerned about what they were wanting to establish that when the Messiah came to establish a new wineskin to establish the kingdom that the other church had not, they missed it. People were so convinced that this New Testament church-looking people who were healing people and preaching of a guy that was killed not too long ago, they were traveling all around just to fall in the shadow of Peter. People were taking action because of what was going on. I want to be a church so on fire that people take notice of what's going on. Not that we're trying to advertise and win them, but that we are so seeking God that people are noticing there's something changing in us. There's, you know, we, we always talk about, um, I heard a guy ask one time if you could describe the gospel in a few words, what would it be? And everyone said love, love, love. And we tend to do that. That's what God is all about, love. But I would beg to differ that it's not all about love because when we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, love is listed, but it's love, joy, peace, patience. It's a lot of different things. And I would say if you were to sum up the gospel that Jesus brought in the truth of God, it can be best summed up in three words, kingdom of God. It's not just love, it's a, it's a culture, it's a language, it's a unification, it's a seeking God, and love is a fruit of that seeking. Amen? The kingdom of God. These people are so seeking the kingdom of God that their world is starting to look different and the kingdom is starting to take form. And I think it's important to point out that as these people were getting healed, it wasn't so much 
that there was something special about the shadow of Peter. Because if you remember, there was a time when Jesus walked that a woman reached out and touched the hem of his garment. And what happened? She got healed. It wasn't like Jesus woke up one morning and put on a magical garment and said, I'm going to heal people today. There was something in the woman who touched the hem of the garment and something in these people that just wanted to get near the apostles that drove them to get healed and see this new degree of kingdom. And it was one word, and it was called faith. They had faith because they were seeing things going on they had never seen before. And the only thing they could give credit to was these people were unified like they had never seen. And they were seeking God like no one that they saw ever had. And all of this is happening and God is so pleased with what's going on that he preserved unity by not allowing someone, a couple with false motives to get in on this unity. God was blessing a unified church with power because they were only concerned with one thing, and that was the glory of God. What's interesting is that all these people were coming from all these villages, and not once up to this point have we read that the apostles strategized to go to the villages they were coming from. And I think that's one thing that the church does really well. We pay attention to demographics, and we move based on who's coming. But what was happening here, despite the people visiting from different villages, they were staying in one place. They were staying in Jerusalem. Because if you remember when Jesus left, he commanded them, wait here. You're going to get a helper, and you stay there until I command you to go. And they didn't start strategizing and saying, we're going to go to these other villages because we're getting visitors. They were being true to one thing. They were, they were not trying to grow the church. They were trying to become established in one thing, the love and seeking of the Father. And because they were become becoming established in seeking the Father, the kingdom started to spread and people from other villages started to come to them. They were standing firm on the voice of God and not their ideals. They weren't trying to strategize. They weren't trying to come up with a plan. They were staying true to one thing. We're becoming established as a church seeking God, and that's it, and whatever happens, happens. If he tells us to go, we're going to go, but if he doesn't, we're going to stay. So all this is happening, and we pick up in Acts chapter 5, verse 7. Y'all following? Okay. Verse 17, we pick up. The high priest and his officials who were Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. Surprise, surprise. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. Here again, because of the movement of the church, and not so much the healings, but the truth that was being taught, those holding titles and official roles were threatened with the thought that more people were believing the teachings of the apostles than what they had taught for years upon years. They did not want their establishment to be thrown away. And I believe too many people are more obsessed with what they have established rather than what God wants to establish. 
We get caught up in our way and our system and how we think it how we think it should be and how we think it should look. And because we become established in how we think it should be and how we think it should look, when God wants to do a new thing, we declare the new thing is witchcraft and sorcery and it's wrong and the teaching's too weird. And God's like, I need a new wineskin to pour out new wine and I can't get new wineskin because you don't want to tear down your established thing and build my thing that I want to establish. What was great about the apostles is they did not care what they grew up in. They wanted to establish a new thing, something that had not been seen since Adam and Eve walked in the cool of the day with the Spirit in the Garden of Eden. They said, let's establish something that's never been established up till now, and that is a church seeking the kingdom of God. 1 Peter 5.10 says this, But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. Perfect, establish. Everyone say establish. Strengthen and settle you. There is a promise that God wants to establish you. But it flows from you not wanting to establish you. It flows from you not wanting to establish you, rather you establish him. Read it again, but may the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have what? Suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. When you get obsessed about establishing the kingdom of God, establishing an assignment that God has placed on your life, note he wants to establish you, but there is going to come a time before you're established that you're going to have to suffer. And I want to make sure we understand this because it's not saying you're going to suffer because of your sins. You're going to suffer because of what you're trying to establish. If you're trying to establish the right thing, you're going to go through a degree of suffering. It may be minutes, it may be hours, it may be moments, it may be days, it may be weeks, it may be years, but there will be a time of suffering. Peter and John have certainly experienced a level of suffering. Jails back then were not exactly like jails today. Back then when you went to jail, you regretted it. These days, sometimes it's better to go to, to jail because of you getting a hotel room with Wi-Fi that you ain't got to pay for <laughs> so that you can have you know, fringe benefits, if you will. If you don't believe me, like I've known people in my past that say, I got to start over, let me get in there. Any of y'all know anyone like that? Yeah, it's, but it wasn't like that back then. Jails were cold and dingy and dark and, and you got stale bread. You didn't get food that's better than people out here, you know, going, like you get jail now, you get like five-star dinners. Maybe, that's an exaggeration. But you get the point. Back then it wasn't something good. They were certainly experiencing suffering. And we have got to come to the understanding that in trying to establish something new, going after a new wineskin of a church on fire, you're going to go through some suffering. You're going to lose some friends. You're going to lose some relationships. God may call you to leave certain friends and relationships because they are not in the same place of you going into this new thing. God says that sometimes like you have to be equally yoked. 
Because if you're not equally yoked, the idea of a yoke, a yoke is something you put on two oxen, and when one tries to go this way because they're not going in the same direction, the other tries to go that way, so you're having this tug of war about where we're going, and a lot of times in relationships and friendships or maybe even jobs or what you're serving or whatever it is, we get to this place where God's telling us to go this way, but we're yoked to this unhealthy thing, and we get in this tug of war, and God's like, you want to you mean you mean show you how you got to break the yoke? Suffer the breaking of the yoke and be alone for a while so that you can establish something I want you to establish instead of resting in a wrongly established thing. Does that make any sense at all? Peter and John have gone through it. These jails are not pleasant. And now this time, something happens. Look at verse 19. But an angel of the Lord came at night opened the gates of the jail and brought them out. And then he told them, go to the temple and give the people this message of life. An angel of the Lord came at night, opened the gates of the jail and brought them out and told them, go to the temple and give the people the message of life. You need to know something about your role as a son or daughter of the Father in heaven who was all about establishing his kingdom through the redeeming of his sons and daughters. He so wants to establish you in your role that he created for you before you were even born, not only to serve him, but to be ambassadors of his message. And he so wanted that he so, he so wanted you established that he created something. He created something that come out of the courts of heaven to protect us and to communicate with us. And we don't like to talk about it in church a lot because it gets kooky and it gets weird and we don't know how to talk about it. But angels are not meant to lord over you. The purpose of angels is one thing, well, two things really, serve God and serve the ambassadors that God has put forth on this earth. That is you. If an angel comes, it is not to impress you with glory. It is to serve you and communicate with you. When the angels came to the shepherds when Jesus was born, it was for one purpose. We got, we got to tell you where to go because something has happened. And this night in the jail, an angel came to Peter and John, put in the jail again because God said, I've got to communicate something to these guys and I have a purpose for my angels. In Hebrews 1, 13 through 14, it talks about them. It says, God never said to any of the angels, sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. Therefore, angels are only servants. Spirit sent to care for people who will inherit salvation. Angels are sent for those who will inherit salvation. Salvation is your door that gives you access to heaven on earth realm. So much that in establishing in you, in so much that when we're establishing something for him, we're going to need some help. So he says, I'm going to send you a helper called the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to send servants that are meant for you called angels. Is this okay? 
Okay. Y'all quiet. I'm going to take that as a good sign. I'm going to send you servants called angels. I'm going to send you a helper, and I'm going to send you servants. And the reason why I wanted to go through that, the idea that God sends you an angel, that God sends you servants to equip you and help you and be there for you when you're not seeing guardian angels and messenger angels and warrior angels and all kind of angels. The reason he does that is because he wants you to become obsessed with one thing, establish my kingdom. When you're going to establish my kingdom, you're going to suffer. And in that suffering, there are some doors that you will have the key to, and there are certain doors that you won't have the key to. And if you don't have the key, if you're suffering in the name of establishing my kingdom, I've got servants that are meant to unlock your doors. The problem is twofold. One, we think every, un, every door is ours to unlock. And when we start to serve God and they're not unlocking, we lose faith and we retreat to the old established thing. When in the scripture God says there are certain doors never meant for you, but you have to suffer for a time so that I can perfect you and establish you, and it says strengthen and settle you. Can you imagine how settled they were in the moment an angel appeared and unlocked the jail door? It didn't say the angel destroyed the jail. It didn't say the door flew open and all the hinges broke. It says... The angel opened the door, and they left. Do you understand that when you are establishing the kingdom of God in the midst of suffering, God has your back in ways that you could never imagine and that angels are actually a real thing? It's not fairy tale. It's not, oh, there's an angel, you know, there's an angel watching over you. No, there's an angel ready to serve you, and they're waiting for their assignment, but maybe the angel meant to serve you is never walking in their destiny because you're failing to establish a thing that causes a suffering to unleash an assignment of an angel coming to your aid. Is that too deep? There will be times in your life where you go through a degree of suffering and I dare even say a degree of captivity. But look what was prophesied in Isaiah 61, verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Maybe setting captives free and the opening of prison doors is not just figurative, but literal. Maybe it's not just literal, maybe it's figurative. Do you understand that our assignment in establishing the kingdom has promises that the captives will be set free and that those bound, their doors will be opened? But the reasoning, the reason the opening of doors always stays the same because sometimes you're wanting to establish only you and you're stuck in a prison. You're stuck in a prison of proving yourself, in a prison of what can I make for myself? And you think you're free and then you wonder why in your success you still deal with depression and anxiety and worry and shame. 
because you're not walking in assignment to establish his thing. You're trying to establish your thing, not realizing that when you establish his thing, he will establish you. You see, there's nothing wrong with us being established, but that's not your job to try to do. It's establishing his kingdom everywhere you are. What do I mean? That does not mean that everyone has to work for a church. That doesn't mean everyone's got to come and serve necessarily at church. I believe we need to switch the paradigm and not preach, come serve at church, but teach the church to serve. Some of the greatest serving capacities could be at your work, and they never see God because you're trying to establish yourself and your business. And all they see is a hot-headed individual who has no compassion for the people under them. And you've totally missed an assignment of establishing a kingdom. What is a kingdom? The kingdom of God looks different. It's loving. It's turning the cheek. It's taking a punch when you want to give the punch. It's being humble. It's being a servant of all. What if you've been put in your position in your family, at work, in your place, not so much to establish you, but to let the, 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 the culture of heaven be established through you in that place. And that's how we take back territory. See, we, when we talk about taking back territory in the church, it's always grow the people. We're taking back territory. We've grown from 100 to 500 to 1,000 to 10,000. We took back territory. No, you haven't. You took up territory. A church growing is not just in numbers. It's affecting everything. It's affecting everything we go into. It's the way we raise our kids. It's the way we conduct ourselves in business. It's the way we manage our, our temple, our flesh. It's the way we manage our mind, our will, and emotions. It's the way we take care of us. It's the way we take care of each other. God says, would you establish my kingdom and get off of yourself? I promise you, if you establish me in your areas of influence, I will establish you. Let's read that again in Acts chapter 5, 19 through 20. And angel of the Lord came at night, opened the gates of the jail, and brought them out. And then he told them, go to the temple and give the people this message of life. The rescue from the prison had one purpose. Keep preaching the very thing that put you here. Establish the kingdom of God. He didn't just say you're free. Now go eat with the apostles. He didn't say you're free, go celebrate. He said, I'm opening the door so that you can establish the kingdom, so that you can bring this message of life. And I wonder how many of us are missing that one assignment that you're called to do because you're not trying to establish him. You're not trying to establish heaven on earth or, your, or, or his culture. You're trying to establish you. And all people see is you. You're losing trust. You're losing relationships and friendships and followers because they're seeing the side of you that God came to redeem. Hmm. So at daybreak, verse 21, is this just like a, a gut punch message? Okay. It's good? Okay. So at daybreak, it's about the punch you, don't worry. The apostles entered the temple as they were told and immediately began teaching. When the high priest and his officials arrived, they convened the high council, the full assembly of the elders of Israel. 
Then they sent for the apostles to be brought from the jail for trial. (laughs) But when the temple guards went to the jail, the men were gone. So they returned to the council and reported the jail was securely locked with the guards standing outside. But when we opened the gates, no one was there. I love what we see here. Number one, the apostles didn't wait. They didn't pray about when. They took the message from the angel and they applied it. I'm releasing you. Go preach a message of life. Go and give people the message that you were in prison for. And they not only went out and did it, but they went to the most public place, the temple. And as they were following their kingdom assignment, it wasn't until they were walking in their assignment that the enemy found out they were out of jail. It wasn't until they were walking in the assignment that the angelic being brought from the Father that the enemy took notice. And a lot of times we think the reason we're not moving forward is because of the enemy. But I beg to differ and say rethink, rethink things and be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The enemy takes notice when you're walking in your assignment. And sometimes we blame too much on the enemy. Well, I'm not going here because Satan's coming against me. If you're not walking in the assignment of establishing the kingdom, trust me, it ain't Satan's fault. It's yours. Because if he doesn't see you walking in assignment, you ain't a threat. And as far as he's concerned, with you, he's one. We get this paradigm of heaven and hell wrong. Satan is not trying to win people to hell. He doesn't want a bigger hell than heaven. He just doesn't want people worshiping the father that he hates. That's it. You want to know the truth? He knows that he's done. He knows that he will be no more. All he wants is that no one gives glory to the one that's doing it to him because of what he did. The enemy comes against you when you're walking in assignment. Not when you're dancing around hoping God's going to bless you simply because you said a salvation prayer. And let me talk to you about salvation prayer. This isn't in my notes. But if you think just because you said a salvation prayer means you're saved, you're totally wrong. Scripture supports it. We talk about it all the time. Many will proclaim my name, but I'll tell them I never knew you. But I'm going to go to a different side tonight. You remember the three men on the cross? There was Jesus and there was two more. One looked at Jesus and basically said, You are taking crucifixion like a man, and we sitting here poor, pitiful, and crying. And he says, I have respect for you. And Jesus says, today you'll join me in paradise. Never said a salvation prayer on that cross, did he? It was how he received the truth of what he was witnessing. And it changed his perception. It changed his emotions. It changed him in the most horrible place in the midst of dying and I wonder in the midst of a spiritual death how many of us are changing because we're receiving receiving Jesus for who he is and when we when we receive him for who he is we no longer get caught up in trying to establish our thing but we want to establish his thing we want to affect the generations We want to affect our workplaces and our families and our attitude. We want everything to change because we're no longer all about ourselves because we know he is all about us. Do you know that your father is not like necessarily 
rejoicing in the idea that one day he has to judge you. He's rejoicing in the idea that he has redeemed you through his son and wants you to walk in an identity that you think you've lost. And he says, I know what that identity is, and you've been lost. You don't know what your identity is. You don't know what you're supposed to look like. You don't know what you're supposed to do. So if you will just establish me, I'll establish you. Isn't it funny how we know that God's ways above our ways and his thoughts are above our thoughts, but for some reason we try to find the thing we want when God says, I know what you should want. And you can't process that because you're still walking in a fallen state. So establish my thing, and I'll establish you. And something I think worthy of noting, the doors that kept those apostles in the jail, not only did they walk out, but in the passage we just read, we find out that the angels closed the door right behind them which is a bold statement. When the apostles, when maybe the apostles closed the door, I don't know. It doesn't really tell us who closed the door. But those apostles walked out and that door was closed, which is a huge statement of this. That jail was never meant for us. And we're going to leave it just as it was before we entered. And there's a passage in Matthew that talks about something like that. Look at Matthew 10, 11 through 14. Whenever you enter a city or village, search for a worthy person and stay in his home until you leave town. When you enter the home, give it your blessing. If it turns out to be a worthy home, let your blessing stand. If it's not a worthy home, take back the blessing. Someone say, take back the blessing. If any household or town refuses to welcome you or listen to your message, shake its dust from your feet as you leave. Sometimes God releases you from a prison, but the problem is you keep revisiting the prison instead of closing the doors on it. Don't let the thing that imprisoned you once get the blessing of your mind revisiting it or your thoughts coming back to it. That circumstance that messed you up, that event that pushed you back, it does not deserve the blessing of your thoughts. That event, that circumstance, that pain does not deserve the blessing of the thoughts of a son or daughter of the king, of the loving father. It does not deserve your blessing. You are becoming established. So close the door on the prison. Leave it like it was without one thing, without you. And we get so wrapped up in what's happened to us that we lose focus on establishing his kingdom. The scripture in Matthew even says, shake the dust off your feet. In other words, don't take any of it with you. It was never meant to receive you. It was never meant for you. And the power in leaving the prison is not with the jailer who put you there. It's in you. You know why the angel was released to let Peter and John out? Because they were seeking the right thing and they were not trying to establish themselves. So the servant from heaven was allowed to come and say, I'm opening the doors and you get out. And the doors were closed. And the enemy didn't take notice until when they went and saw the people we put in here are no longer in here. And it looks as though it was never touched. 
It wasn't a break-in. It wasn't a break-out. Someone had the key. Let's say you're in a place that you keep revisiting an old thing. God says, the key that you hold, or maybe the key that the angel holds, it's all on you. What does that mean? What if I, I, don't, I don't have the key? How, do, how, how does it on me if the angel has the key? Because he's not sent to unlock it unless you're seeking the right thing. Is this, is this speaking to anyone tonight? We've got to get out of this idea of establishing ourselves. Can, can I just tell you what just gets under my skin? Good, because I'm going to tell you anyways. I get online and I see like all these preachers and maybe a little bit of, of it's jealousy. I mean, I ain't going to lie. Sometimes I get jealous. Like, I mean, I, I'll talk to y'all sometimes like, well, everyone says I'm a good teacher. How come I ain't getting by to go preach anywhere? That's a bunch of crap. How can I? Why, why don't I get to? Why don't I get to? I, I mean, let's be real. But what aggravates me is people that have been called to establish a house and all they care about is building themselves. I don't want KyleGarrisonMinistries.com. That just sounds awful. Why would you ever visit that website? I don't want people to come obsessed with, oh, I'm going to go see Kyle Garrison preach. What needs to attract people is the unity of a house that is so powerful that culture is being changed because they're establishing a kingdom that the Father gave them assignment to. We always say we want Savannah to change, we want Pool to change. It's going to change through people. You cannot escape that. You can get every intercessor in Savannah together and you can intercede for the next 50 years, but nothing's going to happen if we don't do it through people. Intercession and prayer and seeking is a needed part, but it's not the whole piece of the pie. We need people to change the culture. And the people are not going to change until you stop establishing you. Well, I have freedom. I get to choose who I am. I get to choose what I am. I get to choose what I'm going to be. I get to choose. I get to choose. I get to choose. No, you don't if you really believe in the God that saved. Because the reason he saved you was to take you out of the chains of I get to choose and put you in the freedom of I have chosen you. I have chosen what you've looked like. And if you would walk in what I've chosen, you would be more free in anything that you try to choose for yourself. It's not yours to choose. If it was Peter's to choose, he would have been fine fishing. Which would have been horrible because when Jesus met him, he wasn't even a good fisherman. Like Jesus is on the shore, he's like, hey, y'all caught any fish out there? But isn't that what we do? We wrap ourselves up in establishing us that we accept failure and we excuse it as, well, this is just part of the process. No, the process is die to yourself and establish what's his. Verse 24, when the captain of the temple guard and the leading priests heard this, they were perplexed, <laughs> wondering where it would all end. And then someone arrived with startling news. 
Now, keep in mind, what they're meaning about is trying Peter and John for being in the jail. And here's the news. Hey, hey guys, um, the men you put in jail, they stand in the temple teaching the people. The captain went with his temple guards and arrested the apostles, but without violence. They were afraid the people would stone them. They feared the people more than they feared God who was moving through these apostles. And what's interesting that it points out that it says when they took the apostles, it was without violence. And I put this to you. It wasn't just because they were scared of a riot. I put this for this because the apostles went and didn't put up a fight. Because the apostles seeking God understood a very important principle that we forget every day in establishing the kingdom. And we blame it on personality and we blame it on, you know, our Enneagram and our, you know, Instagram. And, and we blame it on, you know, all, all this, you know, whatever gram. But they were seeking God to such a point that they understood Ephesians 6.12. We put it up there. We are not fighting against flesh and blood. But against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. Against mighty powers in this dark world. Against evil spirit and heavenly places. The apostles were aware of what was going on. And they were not going to give these religious rulers any credit of their flesh. They wanted to represent their father well. And the best way to represent their father well was we're not going to put up a fight and we're not going to cry. We're going to go with you willingly so that there's no violence because we want everyone to see and we want our God to see that our trust is not in handcuffs. Our trust is in our father. They had faith that God would deliver them because they were establishing the right thing. And when you establish the right thing, there may be suffering for a time, but he will rescue you. Verse 27, then they brought the apostles before the high council where the high priest confronted them. We gave you strict orders never again to teach in this man's name, he said. Instead, you have filled all Jerusalem with your teaching about him and you want to make us responsible for his death. Look at the effectiveness of what's going on with carrying out the assignment. They've been in jail twice, and they're still preaching, and now the entire city was filled with their teachings about Jesus and what was available to them. The kingdom of God through the forgiveness of a father who had paid our debt through the sacrifice of a son. And what's funny is these priests could not even say his name. See, Harry Potter's not the first, he who, will, he, he who must not be named. It was these priests. I mean, I mean, let's reread the scripture. Look at, look at verse 27. They brought the apostles before the high council where the high priest confronted him. We gave you strict orders never again to teach in the name of he who must not be named. And said, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching about he who must not be named. And you want to make us responsible for the death of he who must not be named. That is, that is their pretty much their strategy. We are not going to say his name. You know why? Because they knew what the deal was. They just chose to reject what they were trying to establish because they were so wrapped up in what they had worked so hard to establish themselves. And it was their version of church, their version of what it was supposed to be. And they couldn't even see what the apostles were trying to show him. And what were the apostles trying to show him? Show them. The apostles were saying, the guy you killed, 
you can still get saved by if you would just die to your establishment. How are we going to show it? Take us. He taught us to turn the cheek. He taught us to take it. He taught us to suffer, and we believe in that promise. If you get obsessed with establishing the kingdom of God, you'll be amazed of what you'll deal with and not let it shake you. If we believe the Father is all-powerful, why are you shaking? I ask myself that question. Why are you worrying about this, Kyle? Why are you shaking? Why are you worried if you believe he's that powerful and that if you suffer, he's going to deliver you and that he's going to establish you and perfect you and make his face shine upon you? Why are you worried? Will you sacrifice everything for the establishment of the kingdom of God? Hebrews 13, 15, Therefore, let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance to his name. A sacrifice of praise can be, I'm going to let go of what I've done so that I can build what you want to build. Sacrifice. It's I give up my own agenda. I give up what I've known. I give up my life. Even if I have to start all over again, God, what do you want? You see, there's two sides to a great promise. Everyone knows it's not too late to come to Jesus. But are you willing to start over in old age, in middle age? Are you really willing to start over to establish something that you have failed at establishing? I say yes. Who says yes? Let's shout it. Who says yes? Yes. Amen. 29. But Peter and the apostles replied. Remember, they said, you've got to stop talking about he who must not be named. But Peter and the apostles replied, We must obey God rather than any human authority. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead after you killed him by hanging him on the cross. Then God put him in the place of honor at his right hand as prince and savior. He did this so the people of Israel would repent of their sins and be forgiven. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit who is given by God to those who obey him. They didn't apologize. They didn't ask for mercy. They didn't defend themselves. They simply explained, this is our assignment. We're establishing his kingdom, and we ain't shutting up. Next verse, verse 33. And when they heard this, the high council was furious and decided to kill him. They are so mad and angry at their response, they wanted to kill them. Why? Who are you to tell us, the religious leaders, that we need to repent? We're the established rulers. We're the pastors. We're the priests. We're the religious order. And the apostles were like, well, you've become establishing you and not God. Because if you were establishing God, you wouldn't have missed the one that you killed. Next verse, but one member, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, who was an expert in religious laws and respected by all the people, stood up and ordered that the men be sent outside the council chamber for a while. See, the council chamber, you got two people, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Sadducees wanted to kill him, but it wasn't exactly a good political thing for the Sadducees to do something without the approval of the Pharisees. Maybe... Our government should learn that, but it wasn't exactly a good idea. Because, see, unity is not just a God thing. Unity isn't a Christian thing. It's a principle that this earth works on. 
When the atmosphere is unified, it's at its best. When political parties are unified, it's at its best. Someone shout amen. There's got to be some sort of unity involved. <laughs> amen. So the Pharisee gets up and he's like, listen, these men outside, I need to talk to y'all. In verse 35, he said to his colleagues, men of Israel, take care of what you're planning to do to these men. Some time ago, there was that fellow Theodos. He pretended to be someone great. About 400 people joined him, but he was killed, and his followers went their various ways. The whole movement came to nothing. After him, at the time of the census, there was also Judas of Galilee. He got people to follow him, but he was killed too, and all of his followers scattered. So my advice is this. Leave these men alone. Let them go. Let them go. If, if they are planning and doing these things merely on their own, it'll be overthrown. But as from God, you're not going to be able to overthrow them. You may even find yourselves fighting against God. This dude is sitting on the fence because he's not affirming what they're doing, but he's also not rebuking it. He's saying... We have noticed that there is a power associated with these guys. People are traveling from all over. People are being healed. And where they only succeeded at 400 or so, thousands are coming to these apostles. Now, I want you to think about this in their perspective. When they killed Jesus, no one stuck but 11. And now thousands were coming to the eleven. I put forth to you that there was a greater fear with these apostles than there even was with Jesus because they didn't know who he was dealing with. And now the power that Jesus made accessible, they were seeing, and that's what they were scared of. How is it that these 11 are doing great things just like that guy we killed, but now thousands are coming, they're sticking, and people are dying when they walk in with false motives? How is this possible? The current model of the church was leaving people in need and ruin. The father wanted to establish something new. And Camelil's like, if it's not God, it's going to fall. But if it is, there ain't nothing we can do about it, y'all. If it's real, we don't need to fight against God. Romans 8 says this in verse 37 to 39. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. Let me just say this. When you're on assignment of God, even if it looks impossible, there is overwhelming victory through Christ. I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, angels or demons, fears for today nor worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above all the, or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ our Lord. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Gamaliel even said it. He was like, if this is real, there's nothing we can do. Romans 8, nothing can separate you. So I wonder, do you hinge your victory in seeing the results of the work or being established in the Father? 
Because if you are establishing victory in works, sometimes you may not see the fruit of the thing you're trying to establish. Let me remind you, all of these apostles died and never saw what the church was like or going to become. They just knew one thing. We've got to establish what we got to establish now because there's victory in him. And there was victory. But they didn't wait to see victory or even on the promise of seeing victory. Their victory was this. We're establishing the right thing by being established in the right thing. When you come, become more concerned with being established in the right thing, nothing can shake you. And I put forth to you tonight, when you find yourself shaken, maybe the first thing you should do is not trying to identify what shakes you. It's why you are in a position to be shaken so easily. Because if you really believe that you are established in him, and nothing can separate you, and nothing can come against you. You shouldn't be shaken. Verse 40, the others accepted his advice. They called in the apostles and had them flogged. And they ordered them never again to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. They knew Gamaliel was right. That word flogged right there, it wasn't just they were beaten. The original translation says that they were skinned. They were beaten so severely, the skin ripped off their backs. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm in Pooler, Georgia, and I'm preaching at Relentless Church, and City Hall calls me for a flogging in the old gas station parking lot across from Pooler First Baptist Church, <laughs> honestly, I don't know what I would do. <laughs> It would shake me a little bit. I mean, maybe not. I would hope to think that it won't be shaking me. But I know me 10 years ago or five years ago or even two years ago would have been shaken. I've been like, all right, I'll just get another job. Good Lord. I'll go serve coffee. I'm good. Did it shake them? Look what they, look what they did. Verse 41. They, they skinned their backs and they left rejoicing that God counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they continued to teach and preach this message, Jesus is the Messiah. They were not shaken, not because they were strong men, not because they were confident men, but because their strength and their confidence came from the Lord that they were established in. And they didn't care what the cost was. They didn't care what tried to shake them. The only thing they cared about was one thing. We are walking in our assignment. And we are walking our assignment to such a degree that God delivers us. He sends angels to us. He unlocks doors that we can't open. And even though you tell us to be quiet and you tell us to be silent, we are in the streets preaching day to day to day to day. And there's nothing you you can do about it to stop us. Why do you think they had to be killed? Because nothing shook them. They rejoice for suffering. Because when you suffer for a moment, you'll be established. Are you becoming established and seeking his assignments for your life? Or are you shaking in every little thing? And I close with this in Ephesians 2.10. We are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus 
so that, so that you're a masterpiece and created new so that you can do the good things he planned for us long ago. What are the good things? Establishing his kingdom. You're established in him when you do the things he planned for us before we even came on this earth. We'll become established. We'll become established as a church on fire. A people believing so much in our God that nothing will stop us. We'll lose anything. We'll sacrifice anything for one purpose. He gets glory. That he is life. There is no other God. So as we leave here tonight, let's walk out of here knowing that we have one thing to focus on. Not establishing us, but becoming established in him. Amen.